0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Opera Sky Podcast. My name is Ricardo Monegas and I will be your host. On this podcast, we would like to share valuable knowledge, lessons learned, and stories from entrepreneurs, investors, and managers while running their businesses. We strive to ask the right questions and discover insight from our guests so you can apply them in your business and life right after each episode. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hi, everyone. Today we're talking with Tania Kov. She's the co-founder of Amplo and chief customer officer. Uh, she is a mechanical engineer uh, from education, and but right now is working towards building the bridges between product. R&D and B2B customer success so she have a really interesting background coming from engineering and of course working into sales and making sure everything goes well in the customer side so welcome Tania how are you?
1: Hi Ricardo thank you so much for having me yeah really good thank you it's sunny outside so uh, a lot of energy <laughs>
0: great yeah before uh, recording you were mentioning that there was a lot of excitement during this time of the year before going to summer holidays right so is there a lot of pushing towards uh, making sure you achieve your goals before vacation <laughs> or how it's going for that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in sales, you always see like when all the, so since we're selling to more like the industrial um, customers, you see like a drop in, in summer holidays. So everyone is going mm. on summer holidays. So you want to try to like close all the deals that you still have open uh, before summer holidays And this, this we feel at the moment. But, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. Thanks. Um, so let's go deeper into your background maybe first. So uh, you are studying mechanical engineering, but at the moment you are working towards uh, sales and investment and so on. So uh, do you think this is a killer combination for you to be working in this startup or funding this startup and, and be part of Having this technical background plus the uh, sales—is this something that you recommend people to follow, or how do you feel on this perspective?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, um, coming from ETH, there like the education is is very scientific, so like the whole. studies is is laid out for going to research afterwards so when you study mechanical engineering you get very well prepared to go into research afterwards like doing a phd and uh, even doing like uh, being a professor at some some point uh if everything works out fine so there you're very well prepared how to do it but like um how to to like found a startup this is like something that you don't learn learn and uh, i think there uh yeah in education we could do a lot like to to improve that but um yeah now after um having those uh, startup experiences i think it's a very good combination to have a technical background because as soon mm, as as soon as you have like on the other side of the table like uh, with your customers like technical people um it for sure helps and you also have a technical background but sometimes you also have to be just like uh, the salesperson and and really really push hard and not going into too much technical details because otherwise it can also be a dead end
0: mm-hmm. got it and i can see that in your linkedin you have been working on marketing before and also uh, now co-founded this company so what is the journey to to start this company how the story starts
1: yeah yeah that's that's uh, that's a good point so um before that i was at another startup called 90 labs it's a spin-off of eth they do a uh, 3d printing for carbon composites and um, there i was lucky enough like to build up the marketing team for two years and there it was a super technical product we sold um, to R&D engineers. So it was very important from the marketing perspective to, to understand how an engineer thinks. So uh, this helped a lot when, when you understand the technical product and um there i mean i saw the company grow from from like below 20 people to to above 40 so i really saw that that growth phase which i found super interesting and and i saw like that i would love to have that opportunity as well like to to really um yeah be able to to grow a company and to grow a team and to to grow the culture so uh, i was lucky enough to to met uh, my, my great co-founders, Niels and Oli. Um, they are very technical, so they were looking for someone that is more coming from the sales side and um, through a mu- mutual like startup friend, which is now also um, a business angel of ours, uh, we got introduced.
0: I got it, got it. So now let's talk about, well, what is Amplo and what are problems are you trying to solve because of course we we have been talking that yes you are the co-founder of amplo but maybe who is better to define what is amplo than you of course (laughs) what are you currently doing into this
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so our goal is really like to make uh, ai accessible for all service teams so like when something is broken in a machine that you don't have that repetitive work where you have to look through like all the machine data that you get from a machine in order to diagnose what's broken that you can like automate this process um fully and that the service engineers um can train um, artificial intelligence or use artificial intelligence um to to get that info of their machines so really enabling the service engineers um with more more
0: knowledge as well yeah Mm -hmm. and uh, do you have any specific cases of industries where you are collaborating with because of course service is really broad but maybe do you have some cases of what you are currently working on
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so it's a huge topic i mean every machine needs service and as a startup Mm -hmm. um, you can't um, conquer all of the markets obviously so um what we're at the moment targeting is um fast chargers for electric vehicles so they are deployed at the moment globally so there are a lot of fast chargers out there and they need to work so if you are um, the driver of an electric vehicle and you want to charge your car and you're not able to because the charger is broken, um, then you have very, very unhappy customers. So there we work with the second largest manufacturers of, of um, chargers, um, and there they can diagnose automatically what is broken in the charger uh, using
0: amplo mm-hmm.
1: So get it? Yeah.
0: And. Just to understand well, because, of course, I am not really into the industry, of course, of service mm-hmm. and so on and, and machine industry. But uh, that does it mean that right now the existing hardware doesn't give you any let's say, functional data that is more, let's say, human-friendly and you are solving this problem? Or how does it work? Because I assume that every machine is giving some data, but maybe it's not really friendly for a service engineer. How, how do you feel about that?
1: It, exactly. So, I mean, the service engineer um, or the service engineer teams, they are the expert of the of the machine. So they know the machine quite well. And they can also look at the data from a machine and what I mean by data from a machine. So normally in modern machines, you have sensors installed, which collect data, can be temperature, can be um, sound, can be pressure, can be anything. So there normally what they do is look like, like, take a look at the sensor data and trying to identify like weird sensor signals and then a field service person is going there to check if if really this component is broken, for example.
0: Mm.
1: And now with Umplo, if they have, for example, 20 sensor data streams and they know exactly or they already labeled at some point of time um, what, what the um, incident was, they can start training machine learning models. So we say like 10 times a specific failure needs to happen until they can automatically diagnose this failure.
0: Mm -hmm. Got it. And what is the process for you guys on building the software of Amplo and understand what are the key metrics that the service engineers uh, needs for their operations if there is some kind of process how did you arrive to the sol- to do this solution in the ev chargers market mm-hmm. and also making sure that you were tracking the correct metrics that they need uh, how was this process
1: yeah yeah so um this is this is a very good point so what we try to do is like work uh, like very closely with our customers and always trying to understand what their biggest pain point is and how we can enable them so um, for service engineers service engineers are for sure not data scientists so there what we did is we tried to do the amplop platform as simple and intuitive as possible uh, in the design so we always compare it to to like website building so for example 20 years ago you needed to be like a really good programmer to um to uh build a website and now you can just drag and drop it and uh, this is like the approach we take at umplo so we really want to make the machine learning part so easy that you can just drag and drop your data let's say and then you can already deploy the machine learning models without actually knowing that you trained now a machine learning model so really about yeah usability and trying to understand the customer
0: Mm -hmm. got it and Uh, how long it takes you to define what are the key metrics of these service engineers or is this this ongoing or you are already clear okay these are the metrics they need to follow in weekly basis or something like that it's just out of curiosity of course
1: (laughs) yeah um yeah sure the key metrics um most of the time it's like lack of personal so at the moment it's very hard to to I think in every like in a lot of industries you see that but also in the in the service industry you see that um, it is hard to find uh, people uh, which which have that specific knowledge so what you try to do is you try to put like more work on the people you already have because it's so hard to find so this means that you need to automate a lot of processes in order to be more efficient, that like less people can 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 cope uh, with the workload, and uh, so key metrics is for sure like uh, time to diagnose um, for one specific failure, and then also like how much does it cost um, if the machine doesn't work anymore. So if this is like very very expensive, like downtime of machine is super expensive then normally it is a very good uh, business case where omplo comes in
0: got it yeah yeah so that's great because of course uh, in the future there will be more and more ev chargers right so this is a good um, solution for this problem right <laughs> that we need to charge the vehicles right? exactly um how is this process for you and still now what is the milestone that you are most proud of at least in this early stage of your startup so uh, if you have any of these moments already or you are still hustling to find the product market fit and so on right so how what is the these small wins that you have in the in the way
1: yeah yeah so i think like product market fit i mean this is a huge topic also with our Mm -hmm. investors i think if someone can say they found product market fit they are already probably a really, really big company, because I think this is like, yeah, if you can really find or nail product market fit, then, then it almost sells itself. It's a little bit like the Slack example. I think <laughs> there, they really did did a great job. So uh, we're for sure not there yet, but we're, we're trying to find it as soon as possible. Um, and milestone so I'm the most proud of that's a That's a really good point. So I thought about it a lot and um, for me it's like the, the super small wins and i think when it comes to to culture and team so for us uh, we talk about this a lot also in the like in the founding team like how we want to build the culture and and what like how we want to live like the culture of Amplo. so i think yeah the biggest milestones are like those really small wins when you get like a really nice compliment from from your team members uh or a thank you like for all your effort you put in and your work so i think those those small things are the ones that that are for me like super big milestones because then i know okay our culture is on the on the right track (laughs)
0: great great so just before going deeper into amplo maybe about sales or investment is like i would like to come back to you and your role because you were saying that you are a chief customer officer so uh, what does this mean in your day-to-day activities and how do you manage your time into those activities if you can walk us through these
1: yeah that's a, that's a really good point so um i'm taking care of a lot of sales topics um together with ollie and tilo so we're, we're a team of three which really push sales and um in the last month i i was also uh, occupied with uh, fundraising so there what I see is like uh, sales is very you can plan it very well you know how much outreach you can do you know exactly when you have your sales meetings and like with investors it's totally different it's very hard to to plan it properly so there's like the yeah from the investment side I think there I always try to plan it very specifically that everything is is, is aligned but there you really, yeah, everything can happen in a day and it's a total roller coaster. And uh, from the sales side, I think there we really try to find a structure to like, how do we do the outreach? Um, How do we use our network? Uh, I'm a really big fan of using the network. I think if you have people which know people use that and really, really push that because it helps so much. Um, So yeah, daily life, looks every day actually it's very different
0: (laughs) got it got it and but i mean do you have any uh, specific system that you dedicate i don't know mornings to outreach to customers and or you just do whatever it comes first or how do you feel into that
1: (laughs) 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 yeah so um i mean i i tried a lot of a lot of different methods and i think what I can say, like my morning are always starting with, uh, I, I have a dog, so I walk my dog. I think this is something that is that is very stable. Um, and then we have like uh, every second day, um, we have a sales meeting where we go through all the deals. So this gives a lot of structure. And then we have like weekly goals on how much outreach we want to do, like how many contacts we want to, to contact. So, and for me, this is enough structure. I don't need to, to block mm-hmm. like everything in my calendar because yeah, it's just not the way I work. I'm more like uh, trying to achieve the goals, but like how to get there. Uh, yeah, it's it's more um, how it, it fits in the, in the schedule.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. So that sounds great. And just how do you keep motivation in your everyday activities is it because the vision of the company is something that's so great for you or do you have any ways to cope with maybe some stress in your day-to-day operations or how do you do that if if you have anything like that
1: yeah that's that's also a really good point i mean i had i had to learn that uh, i think during uh, ETH as well as during my my last experience uh, at 90 Labs. So uh, at ETH, for example, there you have like exams and then only two or three weeks of holidays and then uh, semester starts again. So there it was really hard to like really switch off because you never knew also your exam results. So this was was always like quite um, a push, and there I didn't learn it that well. I think like to switch off and um then during like my working experience i really started to as soon as like i mean there are like times which are super stressful and then there are also times which are not so stressful and a lot of the time i was like when there was a time which was not so stressful i tried to to find new things which I can could do. So I, I wasn't very good in like switching off. And I think over the last year, um, also I think because of the dog, I managed this much better. Like really, if there is a time where it is not that stressful, really take some rest and uh, yeah, get new motivation.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. So thanks. So everyone should get a dog and that will help <laughs> a lot. So that's it. That. <laughs> There made you happy every time right um okay so now let's go deeper into sales and what does it mean sales for you and recommendations mm-hmm. from AMPLUS. so you said that you have these weekly goals of outreach and and at the same time i know that by experience that, of course, people is getting annoyed, of course, of call emails and call messaging. So uh, can you tell us how do you approach sales in B2B at this stage in Apple, Or if maybe some tips into that, how do you reach to new potential customers? Do you use warm introductions or do you have any other techniques that you are applying and testing? Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah, Uh, I mean, yeah. Totally, we test a lot of things. So, what we have is like we have like um, different verticals that we want to approach, so different markets um, with one specific product. Like, the product, I mean, there's Umplo, but then in mm-hmm. the OMPLO platform, there are different products. So, there we want to be like super specific because most of the time, the customer does, if you ask the customer, like, like what do you want, you don't get get an answer. So what we're trying to do is trying to lead the customers to that specific product we have by finding out in a discovery um, if they struggle with, for example, um, machine diagnostics, like finding out what is broken in the machine, how they do it, we don't care at that specific um, moment in time, but just like trying to find out if they struggle getting um to a result to diagnose what's broken in the machine um, and then when we go through those verticals um, what we use a lot is um sales navigator to find um service engineers that are in charge at the specific company at the specific location and then then of course this is like my favorite thing to do then you always see like the m- mutual connections And if there is a mutual connection, I always reach out to my connection to ask if they know that person. 99% of the time, it's just a LinkedIn connection. But uh, that 1% where they are, I don't know, neighbors or I don't know, uh, it's really helpful. (laughs) Um, Got it. So so this is how we do it. And then, of course, the ones that uh, we're not connected to, what we do is like, uh, we put them into a sequence with uh, cold emails and cold calls. um, And then really trying to motivate them that they are that they want to talk to us. So what we really try to do is like really doing a discovery and trying to find out what their problem is. And uh, also, like, yeah setting them into a vision that they can solve a problem for their company so that there will be like the star in the company
0: Mm -hmm. and do you believe this is working for you on the call outreach meaning that you are being able to convert some of them or do you have any metrics of conversion percentage and and also what is this do, do you think they are already aware of their problem or you need to kind of educate them that, hey, there is a better way to do these diagnostics, for example?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, educating the market, this is a very big topic, so it is really, there are some companies that, that um, collect the data. Mm-hmm but don't know what to do with it. So there we have to educate. And there are other companies which not even collect data from their machines. So there you have to start at the very other point there you can just educate them and hope that they will connect their machines. But you you know, you know, already know, this is not going to be a customer in the next uh, two years. So um, yes, there is a lot of educating. Um, Having metrics, I mean, with this like really structured outreach, we started a, a couple of months ago, so it's it's super hard um, to already give metrics um, on that, since like in the industrial world, the sales cycles are very hard to um, get under six months. So I think say, mm-hmm. think six months is quite fast. But then also like the deal sizes are a bit bigger, so it is worth it again. But I think six months is a good way to to find out more. So this is uh, why we can't really talk about the metrics. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, as soon as you schedule a meeting with the people, I think then it's uh, then there's already a lot uh, where you can influence the, the decision
0: mm-hmm. and just out of curiosity as well is like how do you yeah so you said it can take six months uh let's say but then then later do you have any specific commitment that they need to uh, do to sign a contract with you minimum let's say minimum six months contract or 12 months to operate together or you just leave it as pay as you go and then you can cancel anytime and just wondering because of course uh, that will demonstrate their level of commitment to solve the problem but if they feel like you don't have you there is no bound bounds. let's say in certain moment then they can leave so maybe they are not really committed to make a change or uh, what is your feeling into this process yeah
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good point so i think there where we Think we found product market fit. So, for example, in the charger uh, market where we tackle the automated diagnostics part, there um, six months of course is not it's not taking six months there because there we already know the problem exists. So there, what we do is um, they they are on the track because the like the main concern is always like, but does it work with my data? I mean, you tried it with other data and there it works. But does it work with my data? So what we do to um, overcome that trust issue is we say okay here is the platform upload your data um, take your two three use cases um, which you have the most or which are the most painful for you and just try it out with your data if it works then, then it's a done deal actually so yeah there we're really a big fan of of giving the customers access to to the platform that they can interact with it and also for us it's super valuable feedback when we see like what is working what is not working, how shall we structure the onboarding so uh, yeah, this is one part like the onboarding part like how can you lock them in how can you make them uh, the biggest fan of amplo of and then um, then there's the, the contracting so for us what is super cool you can it's very if you know the customer it is very easy to to build up the business case because for example you know how many hours they will save you know um how expensive it is if the machine doesn't work so there you have like a business case which you can present to the executive team and then what we do is that we have like a flat rate for um, a spef- specific numbers of, of uh, failures or tickets, whatever, which go through our platform. So let's say a charger company has a um, thousand tickets per month, which they need to diagnose what's broken in the machine. And then we bill it um, per tick or like per diagnostics that goes through Amplo. But there, what we do is we say like, it's a flat rate for as many tickets as you think you will have for that year. And if you have more tickets that go through our platform, then you pay more. And if you have less, then it's like, yeah, we're we're sorry you didn't use the platform, but we're trying to have that, that flat rate for the number of tickets they, they think they will have. And of course, then (laughs) in in B2B sauce, the nicest thing is if you can can sign them for multiple years, um, which we also did, we have now like, uh, so three, we always try to push like three years or five years, um, not only one year. And um, then there are like different upselling um, options that we then try to to upsell them for example going from diagnostics to predictive maintenance and uh, yeah like really grow then also with the customers or for example if they deploy more charters, then they will have more tickets which come through our platform which means it's always uh yeah it's it's, it's better
0: mm-hmm. sounds great and So you said that you have this kind of trial version where they can do whatever they want with the platform. And then of course you allow them, let's say this space to test and then they will come back to you, I think naturally to say, okay, yes, we want to sign a contract with you or do you have any specific timeframe of this testing or how do you, yeah, because I assume of course in, in. in this context, of course, they need to spend their time testing and making sure this is the correct tool to expand to the entire network of EV chargers, Mm -hmm. for example, right? So, Mm
1: yeah, yeah, unfortunately, it's not that naturally yet. So, you always have, have, of course, to push, I mean, yeah, you can imagine everyone is busy at work. So, you always need to be on like in top of their mind that they really also work with it so um, we do regular like check-ins um in the onboard like in the onboarding phase we do everything that they're happy so like a lot of check-ins and videos always trying to understand where they struggle and and trying to help them um, yeah
0: yeah, I, I was wondering as well, because of course, I I personally struggle sometimes since I'm working one B2B startup as well. And then uh, typically the answer from the uh, users is, well, I am busy in my <laughs> activities, so I don't have any time to, to to dedicate, to give you some feedback or something. So typically, so I don't know, do you find the secret solution for this problem or you believe you are still or how do you manage this feedback and um, follow up with them even uh, after right even uh, even after signing the contract because yeah
1: yeah i think the secret solution so what i really try to i mean i always try that my prospects or my customers that they are not annoyed when i call them so i can also call them when they're i don't know like getting their kids from from kindergarten so I really try to make it as fun as possible to, to work with us. Um, I think this, this really helps then, uh, yeah, they're much more likely to, to pick off the, up the phone. And, um, then of course we also have like processes. So for example, we work with a product manager. Um, she's checking in with the existing customers and trying to get feedback on how we can improve, um, how we can improve the the product and what we can change and then also like for example what we want to do in the futures is that we have like dedicated groups of customers which are like our beta customers which can uh, test new features and everything and and yeah like giving them them some incentives
0: mm-hmm. got it sounds great and yeah so well, all the best into that. So it's, it's of course, a testing and experimental area, right? Uh, every time to test and, mm-hmm. yeah. Um. Yes. Now, talking more about product design and development, let's say. So what is the team structure that you have right now on this perspective? So what is the ideal team that you would recommend people to have to be able to build this software? And, and to iterate it. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we're very lucky that that we have Neil. So he's a very very talented tech guy, and uh, I think like what I see at the moment a lot is that other startups struggle to find find like a tech co-founder. So um, with Niels, yeah, we couldn't be, be more happy to have him. So he's also a mechanical engineer, but like he's a great programmer and, and he, he loves machine learning and AI. Um, so he was the one like really being able to, to build the whole platform uh, from scratch which is super nice and now he has a great team uh, as well um we have a full stack developer and a uh, machine learning intern so one is like really focusing on the machine learning part to make that better and one like really on the yeah user interface and and then the
0: front end mm-hmm. got it and so do you have any recommendations about how to find Neil in uh, in Switzerland, for example, or what are your thoughts How into that? <laughs> yeah that's that's a
1: good po- that's a good point. Um, I think there uh, it's really about like the technical universities like encouraging the technical people more to to like start a startup. Um, I think this is really this is really, really, really a huge topic where uh, I'm sure there can be. Done a lot more, and also, I mean, with with your podcasts and like all the other great podcasts that are out there at the moment, uh, I hope this 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 will help. Um, yeah, this is super hard. I mean, what another option is is that you um, take someone that is more senior and um, can really build up like a super nice architecture of of the software. Um, yeah, and, and how to find them, I, I haven't figured out that magic sauce yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Um, but so how, uh, sorry if I ask you again, but it's like, um, uh, how did they start the idea of Amplo? It was Neil who have this idea or it was where it was coming from? Yeah.
1: So, yeah, so uh, Neil um, did his um, master thesis on predictive maintenance, um back in australia and ollie so they studied together ollie and niels and um ollie visited him in australia and uh they talked about about the project and ollie was like okay this is actually super this would be a great product you we, you, we could really like commercialize this because everyone has that problem and uh it's not accessible to anyone yet so there is where where Ollie comes in. Um he's like he really sees the customer and what their pain points are and understands it on on a very technical level. So he's like really the mechanical engineer who understands like all the machines that Umplo uh, uh or like yeah, all the machines that 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 we have onboarded uh, with Umplo. So he's like really the guy that sees where the product is going and what the customers want um Yeah, so, like, I think this is, like, the the killer combination, like, having someone from the tech side and then someone with, like, a person that is technical but also sees, like, really the pain points of the customer and can envision the product.
0: Mm -hmm. Got it, of course. Um, Do you have any plans towards uh, what other team members do you need in your product team or... Is this something too still too early to decide where where to go after in the evolution of your product if you have any knowledge into this?
1: Yeah, yeah, so there I think there's like the general um, advice which which I can give. I think at the, like in the beginning of a startup, it's always very tight with with money, so you just need like um, super motivated people young people that are very skilled so they can build a proper product let's say they they can build something that works but then of course if you want to scale the product it is helpful if you have someone in the team which has done that many many times and knows how to to build that architecture that it is scalable so I think if you are able to hire someone that has done that before, um, which is probably then a more senior person, then, then it makes sense to hire that person. Mm-hmm.
0: Got it. Now, since we are entering into hiring, let's say, of course, to hire people, you need some finance or some traction, right? Mm-hmm. So how it is going for you regarding investments? So is uh, what is the journey that you have had during this period of your startup? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I joined in September and then in December, we did like a small angel um, convertible. So we found like great business angels that now also helped us in like a future investment uh, process a lot. Um, so they're, most of them are startup sell, uh, startup founders themselves. So this is really cool. So uh, every one of the angels really know like uh, how it is to start a company and they could make like great intros also to like institutional investors. And um, yeah, so now uh, with, the, with this business angel convertible, this, this gave us of course a little bit more, more uh, run rate and we could, could hire um, a small team. And now uh, we're about um, to to close another financing round, which I unfortunately can't talk a lot about it. But uh, I think, like, uh, yeah, I can talk about the uh, the process, how to to get institutional investors on board, and like, what's the difference between business angels and and institutional investors, uh, for sure.
0: Yeah, of course we can go there. Let's do that topic, of course. uh, uh What was the process to bring angel investors, uh, at least, and then, of course, we can compare it to institutional investors. What are the metrics that, and let's say, points that they were looking to validate to put their money into your startup? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good point. So, um, I think what's the cool thing in Zurich is that the startup scene is not so big yet uh, it, it's growing which is great but um from from my experience at 90 labs i was able to meet um, a lot of people from the startup environment and uh, we were very lucky that um, 90 labs was uh the, the neighbor of Yokoi uh, for a few year or not a few years a few months probably at technopak um, so i I know the guys there or like the, the people from Yokoi quite well and now we have three business angels which are in the founding team of Yokoi and uh, of course they bring great knowledge and great network and uh, they they helped us a lot then um, we have others like Flavio Pofhauser from Beekeeper, who has also like a great experience on how to build a scalable process. Then uh, Manuel Grenacher, who sold core systems to SAP, which is a field service management um, uh, solution. So there he has like the service um, experience. So we really tried that like every business angels, and I didn't Mention all of them now, unfortunately. <laughs> but like we tried, that everyone has like a certain, um, let's say, uh, knowledge, we, which can help us. Is it sales? Is it investors? Is it um, business? Is it finance? Yeah. And then like to 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 convert them as business angels. I mean, it's like a, a business angel. Normally, it's it's their private money. So uh, there, I think it's always uh, very emotional as well, like to, to invest in a team. And uh, yeah, I think um, this is something that we really try to like getting the trust that we really want to, to build Plow, And we believe that this is something that will come anyhow. And uh, yeah, and then I think if, if they're convinced that the team works well, then it's it's easier
0: Mm -hmm. so you believe that the team is one of the most important metrics into into at least in the early stage right that they believe that you guys as a team can achieve the vision let's
1: say i think so yes
0: Mm -hmm. okay and now since you raised this initial funding from angel investors and now you're looking for institutional investors so uh do you see any difference in the process into metrics and validations and the due diligence process that maybe you can mention mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah um yeah totally so um from of course from from the metrics for example um the all the business angels, normally, they don't want to see like uh, a financial planning into the f- next five years. They want to see like if if there's a product, if it works, if we have some traction, uh, if we're a good team. but um, then this this was for sure like the the thing that that took a lot of time and it was also very valuable is like really doing that financial planning for the in or not for the institutional investors. but we knew that the institutional investors will ask for it, so we really tried to to plan it. And then we, you also see, when you plan something, you're super optimistic. You think you will will sell like crazy, and then maybe three months later, you see, see like, okay, uh, actually maybe we we need to adapt the goals a little bit. So there you learn really a lot as soon as you have it like written down with numbers. Um, so yeah, I think financial planning is for sure something that, that is something that you need for the institutional investors, which you might not need for angels. I mean, yeah, can be different, can be, some, some of them for sure are very keen on, on seeing that already early stage. And I think it also makes a lot of sense um, to to really take some time and, and look into that. You also see it like as a team, when you do that financial planning, you also um realize like how well aligned you are it's a really good thing to to align i think um <clears throat> yeah and of course like first round with institutional investors um this is like a feedback that we got a lot this like the team is, is is still it's it's very important um but the biggest difference i think is like the market so your institutional investors they need to you need to convince them that the market is big enough. And if you can't do that, the, uh, my experience is that that they won't invest. So we put a lot of effort, like really showing that the market is not only the EV charger market, for example, but there are like a lot of different verticals, and it is easy for Amplo to come to the uh, other other verticals. So, yeah, re- really, the, the size of the market is something that, that is really important.
0: Got it. Um, so, and this uh, decision of the markets is something that it was based on your product iterations and testing, or it was something that you were researching on the internet, what are the trends and, and where is going, the maintenance and monitoring of the industry, let's say. So... How was this process to, let's say, to select these industries that basically you were showcasing to the investors to say, well, this is the future, this is what we we can go in the entire vision. Let's say.
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. So for sure, like, uh, what helps? I mean, traction. Always. Everyone tells you that, but I mean, traction. This is just the the key metric. This helps. This shows that someone wants to pay money for your product Um, so what we try to do is like really focusing on not only the charger but also that we have some other reference cases so for example we have um a customer that that uh, produces payment terminals for for gas stations then we have a customer or like a use case with a cnc machine so we had those other reference cases as well and then for example, CNC machine, this is a, a huge market there. Like the CNC machine market is, is really huge. And then you can like extrapolate it like with the different markets. So that that's how we did it. Because if you do it from the other side, like if you just say um, the connectivity uh, of the machines market is huge, it's not very, it is harder to imagine it how umplo will grow in that market so we really try to go um from yeah like the bottom-up approach having a use case in a reference industry and then grow
0: in that industry it. so i assume that let's say you in your day-to-day operations you have let's say the customers that at this moment on time you want to grow because you already prove a case a business case and it's working and then in parallel to that you as well are kind of testing and created proof of concept in other industries mm-hmm. is this something like you are operating at this station
1: yes yes totally this mm-hmm. this we do mm-hmm. a lot and uh, there of course you can also um if you want to like iterate and and tweak the product, you can also work a lot with wireframes. So for example, if we enter a new market and we're not quite sure how it should work, we're not implementing the whole thing on the platform. So uh, luckily there's Figma where you can do like a lot of of wireframing and really iterating with those those, um, reference customers in new industries and uh, iterate quite fast before like really Building it into the product.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, great. So now going more, and it's almost the last questions for today. So it's like, how do you keep learning and keep this pace of you as a chief customer <laughs> officer and and try to learn more and be better in sales, be better finding investments. So do you follow any resources, podcasts, or something which is helping you in this? a stage of the company that maybe you can recommend
1: yeah so i totally should read more books <laughs> i'm not i'm i'm not the biggest reader to be honest uh because there i think you have like knowledge which is super deep and um, my uh, yeah my resources are more like podcasts so of course you also know like I'm, i'm a really big fan i think there are a lot of like great people uh, on that show. And then um, also like I'm trying to, I mean, it's always hard when when you have like a a really tough schedule um, like to go to events, but most of the times uh, events can be super valuable if you can talk, for example, if for, um, with someone that was on the Swisspreneur show, uh, it is always super interesting because then you can like really interact, um, with that person and then like ask more specific questions, which then can also, also help your business. So, um, yes, this, this I'm doing a lot, like really learning from, from other people's experience. Mm-hmm
0: great and in the swiss uh, market do you follow or go to a specific institutions uh, that you follow as uh, let's say mentoring or events uh, that maybe people can follow apart from swiss pen of course but mm-hmm. uh, what have you go to some sessions of i don't know uh, in in a Swiss or something like that or do you recommend to go to these places mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah so um i mean for me a huge topic is like having more female founders of course in 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 the industry so uh we have uh, a great business angel isabel she she's uh, doing Sandborn. i don't know if you know her i think she would also okay she's also all those be a super cool guest probably um and um so yeah, what I try to do like from the community building is like really focusing on on those uh, like um female events because I think it's just not not uh, diverse enough at the moment um and there are a lot of great uh, yeah great things also like in Zurich and around zurich for for those topics, but I think yeah isabel is really a great uh, great uh, yeah reference
0: to go to okay so sounds great so that i will put it in the comments maybe of the podcast to say okay you if you are a female entrepreneur you can visit uh, Sambor, sample yeah so mm-hmm. to move and get to know of course more more people like you and and your interesting journey mm-hmm. <laughs> okay uh so just for today uh this is it but of course if someone wants to reach you out and get to know you more or if they have any questions more or uh, where they can reach you out
1: yeah so uh, i just checked my linkedin before so on linkedin when you go to contact info you also see my email address and i think uh the way where I answer for sure is my email, but you can also reach out on LinkedIn, but maybe you have to remind me because uh, for me, LinkedIn messages are like the ones that are very hard to uh, keep track of.
0: Got it. So. Yeah, so PC person, of course, you will have a lot of messages. So <laughs> I understand that is complicated. Yeah, it, It's not even pace.
1: that. I think it's just like, you know, with the email, it's very structured. But for LinkedIn, mm-hmm. I don't have that. Or I think there, it can be improved, I think. <laughs>
0: got it. Got it. I understand that as well. Yeah. Um, to, too, yeah, let's say two monotic lists to follow, let's say. Yeah. yeah okay uh thank you very much jenny for your time today and i hope you have enjoyed the conversation as we did and we can keep talking and all success with amplo in the current stage and and the next stage are coming right so yeah
1: thank you so much ricardo it was a lot of fun and uh, yeah i really enjoy what you're doing and uh, yeah keep up the good work it's super cool to to like push that entrepreneurship
0: yeah, thank you. Uh, so, see you around.
1: See you. <laughs> bye bye.
0: Bye. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights. Feel free to share with your friends and looking forward to seeing you next time.